Well, it is my honor and privilege to stand before you here today to bring you the first portion of the series that we will be um, talking about, being transformed. Being transformed, amen? So starting today, we're going to go on this seven-week journey about how we can be transformed in the different areas of our lives, right? So the next few weeks, you're going to hear from ministers and pastors giving you key points about how we can be transformed in the different areas that we will be sharing with you guys. But it's up to you. It's going to be up to you, and it's going to be up to me to apply those areas um, every day, um, to apply those key points every day in our lives in order for it to take and have an effect. Amen? So you guys are going to commit with us. When you finish filling out your contract, please hand it in to an usher, okay? When you're heading and exiting out the church today, this is a commitment saying that you're going to commit to God, really, because it's not man you commit to. It's God that you commit to. And once you sign this, it kind of gives you, um, it reminds you every day, hey, I signed something. I put my name down on something. Now I have to honor that word. Now I have to honor that signature that I told the Lord I'm going to follow uh, this series along with my brethren. Amen? Hallelujah. So we begin our journey of being transformed. Somebody say transformation. 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 Romans 12, 2 reads like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. What does it say? Be Yes, by the renewing of your minds. And we are transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. And that is important to remember. And that's going to be a key point in our transformation journey. When we first come to Christ, we verbally confess, right? Out loud that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We confess our sins to the Lord. We ask him to forgive us of those sins. And then, gradually, we should see a visible transformation occurring. That's what it means to come to Christ. That's what it means to give our lives to Christ. It means that we're allowing him to now come into our lives and begin to transform us into the person he created us to be. Not into the person or the individual that we had believed we were, but into the person he had always created us to be. Amen? In other words... The different areas are of our lives must begin to go through a transformation. For some of us, this transformation occurs slower or quicker than others. But that amount of time is up to you and me. It can be quick if you just let God take you through that process. It could be slower if along that process you're fighting God. Amen. And struggling like, you know, when you're pulling back and forth on a rope, you could do that. Or you can just let go of the rope and say, God, guide me. And that process could be quicker. Amen. And when I started studying this, I was reminded of my husband's testimony. He has um, explained to me when he came to Christ, right? He visited a Pentecostal church. And that very same day, the Lord tugged at his heart, started crying. He says that the preacher was a missionary. He was talking about his missionary trip. And yet in that seat where he was, God started tugging at his spirit. God started talking into his heart 
And he just started to cry profusely, he says, like a little baby. So can you imagine a grown man sitting in a seat or in a pew and crying like a little baby? And he says, not even the, the message was still going when a couple of brethren came to him and said, listen, I can explain to you what you're experiencing right now. And they explained to him what was happening. And they asked him, do you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, right now? And they explained to him what that meant and the steps of what he was going to do. And that same day he accepted Christ. He asked for forgiveness of his sin. He received the Holy Ghost that same day. And he was baptized that same day. In that church, they practiced that like the, books of, like the book of Acts. But I don't want to dwell that in that area where I want to focus is in the fact what he told me after. What happened afterwards? He says the next morning he woke up and he looked at himself in the mirror. And he chose that day to believe what they had told him was God's truth. God's truth told him he was a new creation in God, in Christ Jesus. Amen? Like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, jot it down, 5.17, 2 Corinthians, look it up later. But that tells us that we have the opportunity to become a new creature in Christ. Our past is gone. It's old. It becomes, a, you know, becomes no more. We're a new creation in God. And he accepted that. He chose to accept that that morning. And he looked at himself in the mirror and he looked at all the rings that he had on. And he said, you know what? I'm a new creation. I don't need these things to identify me anymore. So he started to remove those things that identified his past. Amen. Hallelujah. And that, you know, and the reason why it reminded me is because he had a visible transformation. He began to have a transformation that you were able to see, wow, from this Sunday to next Sunday, now he has no more rings, you know. He has no uh, belly showing shirt, <laughs> shirt on. He came in with his nice suit and tie because he started looking at the other men and wanted to honor God the way the other men were honoring God at that time. Amen? So he had a quick outer transformation, right? The rest took the inner transformation is going to be um, a little bit longer of a process. But as you can see, he's standing here today. Amen? So that process continued. You see, because at some point after receiving Christ into your life, a transformation should begin. A transformation should begin to take place in many different areas of your life. Like the such that pastor was um, mentioning. Relational, physical, mental, emotional, financial, vocational. And we come to today's the one that we're going to focus on today, the spiritual. And if you asked me, if you ask me, me as an individual, Minister Belinda, I would tell you that the spiritual is the most important one to take care of, to make that one the most healthy. Because when you make that one the most healthy, the rest of them will begin to get in order with or align with God smoothly. But when you're fighting that spiritual transformation, the others are going to take a lot longer to get in line with God's word. Amen. Hallelujah. Does that make sense to everyone? Spiritual transformation. I know that when my spiritual life is at par, then the rest of my life is also going according to God's plan. But when I allow myself to distance from God, when I allow myself not to keep a close relationship with God, I can see how that trickles into my other areas of my life. And then I have to remind myself, oh, what you doing? You see, ABC is starting to trickle down. That means that in here, your spirit life, your spirit man isn't being connected with God the way it should. And I have to rise up 
and rise my spirit up and say, uh uh-uh, let's call out to God and let's do the right thing. Hallelujah. Because what I love about God is that he is the God of second chances. Not one, not two. We say second chances, but he is the God of many chances. Amen. And so he is willing to pick you up and continue that journey with you. The key word that I said is that I have to decide. Those are the key words. You have to be the one to choose. You have to decide that you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, when you decide that, when you decide that you're going to think differently, that begins to determine how you feel. It begins to determine how you act. If you want to change something in your life, you don't like the way you're acting or the way you're behaving or the way you're feeling, then you need to begin to start changing the way you're thinking. Because maybe you've been depressed. Maybe you've been feeling depressed. And I guarantee you it's because you've been having depression um, thoughts or thoughts of depression. So that means you have to think differently in order to then act and feel differently. I had to learn that throughout my years um, in this walk with God. And even recently, I had to remind myself of this because I've been going through some difficult times at my job. A lot of changes, a lot of transitionings, and it's been really hard on me physically, emotionally, mentally. And I've been going into, into, um, I've been going into work feeling um, down and out, knowing that I don't want to be there, knowing that I don't want to be in that location anymore. And I love the children because I work with children, but the staff and, and the administration of this location at the moment um, is going through a hard time, and we're feeling that. And so just last weekend, I was feeling it really hard, and we came for the family game day, but I had to throw myself on my knees, and I had to just take my time alone, away f- um, from everyone and alone with God because I needed God to do something in my life. And the thing, good thing about God is that he brings people into your um, path that help you out. Because sometimes you think you know it all, but you really don't. And you're always learning something new, or you're always being reminded of something that you knew but haven't been applying. So I walked in on Monday, and God had been tugging at my heart, speak to this young lady, and this is your um, other co-worker of mine. And I went up there, and I told her, listen, you know, I'm really having a hard time. And I know that you serve God. The way you talk, the way you walk, I know you're a Christian. She said, yes, I am. I said, well, this is how I've been feeling. And she said, don't worry, because God sees all, and God knows all. And he's going to give us the victory out of this. He's going to see us, you know, um, victorious. And it just reminded me of that verse, and I said, you're absolutely right, because I was telling my spirit, I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. And I needed that strength. I needed God's strength, because I couldn't do it on my own will or in my own strength. So that moment, I had to start rethinking what I was feeling. See, I couldn't allow the emotions and the physical tiredness to take control of my thoughts, of what I know. See how Pastor always says, it's not what you feel, it's what you know. And when you know God, and you know how good God is, and you know that his strength and his joy is what gives you his, your strength, then you know to depend and trust in God. And I took that word that day, and I ran with it. And my spirit was rejoicing throughout that day. Thank God. Amen. But that's a thing that has to be applied every day. Don't you think that because today you say, God, you're my strength and I'll be able to do everything because you are with me that tomorrow you're going to feel the same. No, you have to keep repeating God's word, reciting God's word into your spirit and recite it out loud. Let the devil know that you are trusting in the God that saved you, that rescued you. Amen. 
That's being transformed every day by the renewing of your minds. Hallelujah. If we can take the principle from Romans 12 2 and apply it, then we can change the way we think, which leads to us feeling differently, which also leads to us acting differently. And that's called transformation. Everybody say transformation. 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 It is important to remember that the further we get away from God, the more troubles we tend to have. And it's not because the world don't, doesn't have their troubles, because they do. But they don't know God. They don't know that they have a rescuer. They don't know that they have someone that they can lean and depend on and know that he's going to take them out of their troubles. But for us, for us to have known God, who have accepted Christ as our Savior, as the authoritative person in our life, who guides and directs and leads us, when we further ourselves from God, God allows troubles to come in. God allows storms to work their way in to remind us without him, we cannot continue our journey alone. He has to be in the midst of that journey. So on the other hand, when we get closer to God, what begins to happen? Your life can begin to transform because he's working hand in hand with you. But if you're doing it on your own, he cannot help you in that transformation process. Amen? We see this all through scripture when Paul with Paul, we see it with him. He went from being a killer and a, pro and a terrorist against Christians to a rescuer of lost souls. We see it with Isaiah. He was transformed from a depressed person into a courageous person. We see it with Moses. Moses got so close to God that the word says he was transformed even in his appearance. Hallelujah. What do you want to be transformed at? When you walk in through a door, someone will say, wow, there's something different about that person. Hallelujah. I want to be that. I pray God, God, make me smaller. You become bigger. Let your light shine through me. Let them know that there's something different about me, that I don't walk the same because I'm not the same because I have been called to be a priest of his um, kingdom. Hallelujah. That I've been called to be a rescuer of those lost, depressed, without um, focused souls. Hallelujah. Without hope. We were called to bring that hope for he is the hope of glory and he lives within us. Hallelujah. We all want to be close to God. I know that we all desire to be close with him. Amen. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here on a Sunday to Sunday basis. We wouldn't be here on Wednesdays seeking him in prayer. Amen. We wouldn't be on our knees in our closet rooms, in our homes, seeking the kingdom of God if we didn't want to be closer to him. But the Bible says that we are all like sheep that have gone astray. Like sheep, we tend to wander. A sheep doesn't even need to be taught to wander. It's naturally, innately within him. The sheep will go into harm's way without even thinking twice about it. He'll jump over a cliff without even <laughs> thinking that he's going to, you know, come to his end. And the Bible compares us to sheep. And if we think about that, about literally what a sheep is, and his behaviors, and we think, wow, God compares us to that. In our nature, it's already in our nature to wander away from God, to, be, to make ourselves become distant from God. Hallelujah. When we are not careful. Some of us can point to even a time when you felt that, I don't even feel the presence of God anymore. I don't even feel his Holy Spirit alive within me. I don't even feel the power of God um, um, renewing me, giving me the strength that I need to endure what I'm facing right now. 
I've been there. It's a scary place. To not feel the spirit of God. Don't you believe that just because you came to Christ, you're always going to be spirit filled? That is a lie. If you, if you stray yourself away from God, that spirit man becomes dead. And you no longer are being guided by God. That is a scary place. That's where sin can abide in a humongous way. And with sin comes guilt, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Some of us can, 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 can testify to feeling that way, to feeling like your relationship with God has been astrayed, like you've been depleted. But then there are some of us that can testify. <laughs> the balloon doesn't want to be held. We can testify to being like this balloon, being inflated with God's spirit, being inflated with God's love, his hope, his joy, that when you're bounced around and you're pushed and you're hit, you're still standing and you're still grounded in the one that gave you that hope, the one that gives, gives you that strength on a daily basis. Amen? But what happens when this balloon and the air that's located inside of it is released? Comes empty. It no longer has that bounce, that life that it used to have. It can no longer be bounced around and, and in a joyful manner and played with and, you know, and be enjoyed. Amen. It becomes def def um, depleted, deflated. It has no life. Now it has no spirit. There's nothing, nothing there to be seen. Hallelujah. And sometimes this is us. We allow our spirit to be depleted, to depleted and deflated. Hallelujah. But that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to stay on course. He wants to continue to transform us into the person that he created us to be. But when you let that air out of the balloon, all those qualities are gone. It becomes deflated and no longer can it bounce. That bounce it had doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. That's us sometimes when we move away from God. So then how do we draw near to God? How do we get close to God? This is how we... we um, increase our spiritual health. This is how we make it healthy. I'm going to give you four key points today. The first one is get fed up with your life. Someone say get fed up. Second one, own up to your sin. Say own up. Third, offer up yourself. Someone say offer up. Fourth, lift up your praise. Someone say lift up. Get fed up, own up, offer up, and lift up. Doing these four things is going to help us get closer to God and to begin our transformation. And in order to do this, we are going to refer to the story of the prodigal son. I want to take you on that journey of the prodigal son. You see, because when we tend to have, and it's all about me mentality, when we stay in that mindset that it's all me, that it's all about me, I want, I want, I want, Hallelujah. And we forget that it's all about the father. See, because this story is known as the prodigal son, but it's also known as the, fa the loving father. Because it really is about the father and the father's response. So when we make it all about God, 
then we get all the benefits that God has to give. But when it's all about me, those benefits can't come and um, be deposited into our lives. So let's read the prodigal son story. It says in Luke 15, verses 11, 24. And stay with me. I have a lot of good stuff to give you. It says, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, give me my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and left home to live in a distant land. He's already getting away from the father. He's getting distant from the father. It may not be the same version you have. It's not um, the traditional version. He's already getting away from the father. He's getting distant from the father. He's got as far away from his father as he could. He goes to a distant land. There he squandered the gift he'd been given, something that we've probably all have done, and wasted his life and money on wild parties and reckless living. About the time all his money ran out, a severe famine hit the land, and he began to starve because he was left with nothing. Now he's getting hungry. The only job he could find was feeding swine on a farm. He became so desperate and hungry that even the pig slop he was feeding the swine looked good to him. But no one would give him anything for his hunger. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is crazy. I'm... At my father's home, even the lowest paid workers eat well, while I'm far away dying of hunger. So he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to return to my father and humbly say, Father, I have sinned against both God and you, and I am not worthy to be part of, his fam of this family or to be called your son. But please, just make me one of your servants who works for you. I'm not even a family member. Just hire me out as a servant. Make me one of your servants who works for you. With that attitude, he headed back home to his father. But while the son was still a long distance away, he, had gotten, he hadn't got all the way back home. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, he's got his prepared speech. Father, I've sinned against both God and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in our house and put it on him. Then get my signet ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. Then roast the calf. Well, we have been fattening. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking for this child of mine was distant and dead, but now he's back and alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Jesus. Ah, he was preparing for his son to come back. He knew his, his son would come back. Hallelujah. If you're distant today, know that God is already preparing for you to come back. He already has the celebration, the party waiting for you to come and run back into his arms. Hallelujah. Jesus. You are not that far away. Hallelujah. Just run right back home. He awaits you right here with open arms. Hallelujah. Jesus. 
The story tells us about how we all tend to wander away from our creator, from the God who loves us. And the son starts off saying, Dad, I want you to give me everything that's mine, everything that's rightfully mine. I, I want it now. Give it to me now. He was speaking from a centered, a self-centered life, self-centered mentality. Amen. And by the way, I'm in a hurry, so give it to me fast. He told him, I want it now. Because he was going to pack his bags and he was going. Hallelujah. He was in a hurry to leave that place. Sometimes we're in such a hurry to leave God's arms. Why? When we have everything we need in, our, in the arms of our creator, in the arms of our savior, he has all the riches that we need. And yet we're sometimes running away in the, in the opposite direction. Hmm. So he takes off. He packs up and he heads off to the Sunset Strip in Jerusalem. And there he wastes everything, every last dime his father gave him. On what? On useless things. On things that did not fulfill him. On things that did not sustain him. On things that didn't give him the peace and joy still after everything was gone. That's not our father. Our father gives us to we can't have no more. To the point where we're so overfilled that we have to share with others. Because if not, we become drowned in our own blessings. Hallelujah. But he had forgotten that. And then now when everything was wasted and he had nothing else and nothing left. And because a famine had come into the land, no one was there to help. No one could help because they were saving for their own needs, for their own family. He had to go looking for a job, which came scarcely at the time because of the recession. But he found something. Hey, he found a job. There was a sign. We need someone to feed the pigs. And he said, well, it's better than to not have nothing. I'm going to go feed some pigs. And he's there feeding the pigs that slop. And he got so hungry. And he became so desperate. Because that was desperation. When you go from eating the best of the best to be willing to eat the slop of pigs, you are desperate. And he became that desperate. But that's when something went on in his mind and in his spirit. And he tells himself, what are you doing, man? Are you crazy? Even the, the servants in my father's house get fed better than this. Even they live better than this. And you're going to keep yourself here with, this, with these pigs? He was Jewish. He was a Jewish young man. Those pigs weren't even kosher. He wasn't even supposed to be around those pigs. And yet there he was eating their after stuff. Think about that. A bad taste that it leaves in your mouth. The after stuff. When God wants to give you new and fresh every morning. The Bible says, give me my daily bread. Daily bread. It's fresh. It's new. We don't have to go back to the old stuff. The stuff that we left you know, behind us, they have to stay back there. Don't keep going back and picking it up. God is saying, leave it in the past. That's where I put it. Why do you keep turning back? Don't turn around. Keep looking at me. I have your riches. I have what you need. I have what's going to sustain you. Don't go back to what you dropped. Leave it in the garbage. That's where it belongs. Why? Because your spirit man is in jeopardy. The Lord is calling out to you today. I hope you are listening. Leave it in the garbage. Don't pick it up. It's drawing you further from God. Jesus. 
So what did the son do? He went back running to his father's house. Hallelujah. He went back running. And in his running, his father sees him coming from the distance. Hallelujah. But already in his mind, the son had already made up his mind. And he said, you know what? I know I don't deserve my father's love. I know that I shouldn't even be running back, to, back home because I abandoned them all. So I'm just going to ask him, make me a servant. I will serve in your house because I don't belong. I don't deserve to be called your son any longer. I'll be a servant. That's good enough for me. Why? Why was he willing to accept that when he had a father with riches, a father with money, a father with a beautiful and wonderful kingdom, with a lot to eat, with beautiful clothes to be able to wear, with shoes to walk in? He was willing to go back as a servant. That's guilt. Guilt makes you think that you can't go back home. Guilt makes you think you can't run back to the family you abandoned. Guilt makes you think you can't run back to the father that has his arms wide open waiting to embrace you. Jesus, he thought that he could not run back because he was feeling guilty because he had left the good stuff. He knew he had the good stuff and he had abandoned it. Hallelujah. Jesus. Glory to my God. Don't wait. Come quickly home to your to your father who awaits you. Jesus, hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Lord. From this story, we gain the four things that I spoke to you earlier. So I don't know where you are today, if you're far, far away, if you're a little bit close, or if you had one of those weeks that drew you further, but you're here today. And I know it's because you want to get closer to God. So how do we do that? Let's start with get fed up with my life. Get fed up with your life. You got to get to the point where you say, I am so fed up with where I am, in the place that I am, in the dirt hole that I've put myself in. Because God has not put, yourself, hasn't put you there. Do not blame anyone but yourself. We have a choice. We have a choice to be lifted up or to be dragged on the floor. When God has says, when God has told us, that we are priests. Hallelujah. That we were wonderfully and fearfully made. You don't belong on the floor. You belong high up with Christ because he placed us there. Not because we even deserve to be there, but because of his grace and mercy. Hallelujah. Nothing is going to happen in your life the next seven weeks until you first get dissatisfied with where you are. You've got to get desperate. You've got to get hungry. You've got to get anxious for change. You have to want a change to occur in your life. Nothing is going to happen until you get fed up. Someone say fed up. In that passage of scripture, it says he wasted it all. Amen. I was there. I said, I'm fed up. I'm done. <laughs> God's peace in me. Hallelujah. He wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and he got hungry. That's what we read. And he finally came to his senses. And that's where the transformation began. When he was able to come to his senses and say, I need to go back. 
go back to my father's home. Go back to the place where I was well taken care of and well provided for. See, because the enemy will show you the beautiful things before you. Oh, he'll show you, my God, all the riches of the world. He tried to give them to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus denied them. And if Jesus denied them and he's our savior, what should we be doing? We don't need what the world has to offer. We need what God and what Christ offers us. Amen. So where are you? Are you there yet? Are you fed up yet? And if not, that's okay. Because God will let you stay there. He'll let you stay there. Not a problem. But, there's always a big but. But he's going to bring that rain in your life. And if you still don't get fed up, he's going to bring a little bit more rain in your life. And if you still haven't had enough, he'll bring a storm to come into your life. He'll bring you to the point that you're so desperate that you're running into this place, crying out, Jesus, help me. Because without you, I cannot be. I cannot sustain myself. Hallelujah. But why does he do that? Not because he doesn't love you. Complete opposite. Because he loves you so much. Too much to leave you in your mess. Too much to let you waste your life. Somebody stay with me. He's not going to let me waste my life. He is not going to let us waste our lives. He did too much. He paid too big of a price. And he doesn't even tell us that. I'm saying that he paid too much of a price, too big, for us to allow our lives to be wasted. Jesus. When God wants to get our attention, he comes and he'll knock on that door. I'm ignoring it. And he'll come. And he'll knock again. Yeah. I hear it, but uh, I'm not ready to answer. He'll come and he'll knock again. But when you don't open that door, he will push through that door and come in. He will come in. And although he's a gentleman, but he's going to let you know, I'm here. You can't say I never came. You can't say I never knocked. And you can't say I didn't do it twice or three times or four times. I knocked. I pushed my way through and still you chose to ignore me. Hallelujah. Some of you have had that door blown away. Are you realizing that it's God calling out to you? It's God letting you know you're not drawing near. You're going further away from me. I want you right here next to my bosom where I can care for you. Where I can speak life back into you. Hallelujah. The further away you go, the more death you're going to find. The deader you're going to become, if that's a word. Hallelujah. Why? Because God does everything because he loves us. He does not want you to miss him, and he does not want you to waste your life. He'll even make you thirsty. He'll put salt in you. You become so thirsty that you start to say, I'm unsatisfied with my life. What am I doing with myself? There's no point. There's no purpose. I'm familiar with that. I've said those words. And that's when I've been furthest away from God. Because I, haven't, I, hadn't, I wasn't allowing him to be my water. That water that quenches us overflowing. Hallelujah. Jesus. You're just doing you. You're doing your way. Your thing. But the first step to transformation is for you to get fed up, 
for you to become disgusted with the way you're living. Hallelujah. Then God can come. Because Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So your heart has to be seeking him with everything that you have. With all that you know, you have to be fervently seeking him. Hallelujah. God is not going to reveal himself to you if you're being lazy, if it's kind of like a casual pastime for you, if you're only seeking maybe part-time, only because today you tripped and you need God to heal your toe. <laughs> That's not how it's going to work. Hallelujah. You need to be seeking him. You need to want to find him with all your heart for him to come and then do what he's always wanted to do with your life. So the first thing is get fed up. The second one is own up to your sin. The son had to own up to his sin, to his mistake, to his fault. When you own up, you first get fed up, and then you own up. And you own up to your sin. That's the second thing we need to do. The son first got fed up. Says 17, 18, when he came to his senses, he goes, this is crazy. <laughs> I'm living like this. It's not even fulfilling me. To live without God, that's crazy. That's insane. That makes no sense. To live without the creator, that makes no logical sense. Amen? Jesus. But he, the son came and he said, I have sinned against God and you. But nothing's going to happen until that, set, that stage two occurs, until you start owning up to your sin. You need to face up to the fact that you have not been living by God's way, just as I had to. You've been living your own way. You've been doing the things your way. You've been controlling things around you that you know you can't even control. And yet you're still trying to govern everything that surrounds you. When in your mind you're telling yourself, I can't do this. I'm crazy. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. But you can't, and you never will, because only God is in control of everything. Hallelujah. And he's waiting for you to get tired, let go of those reins so that he can take over, so he can steer you in the direction that you need to be going. But first, you have to own up. You have to own up to your sin. You have to own up to your faults. When he came to his senses, the sense said, I have sinned. Isaiah 59 tells us, your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden his face from you. My God, have you ever prayed like you felt like God was a million miles away? Have you ever found yourself praying and calling out to God and feeling like, is he even answering? Is my prayer even, you know, going past the ceiling of these um, four walls? Hallelujah. Sometimes you feel like you're just talking to yourself. Where does that come from? The Bible tells us that our sin separates us from God, and he hides from us. That's where it comes from. It comes from our sin. So we need to own up to it. We need to own up to our sin. Your sins have separated you, has separated us. You're as close to God, as I said before, as you choose to be. Hallelujah. The Bible says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. 
we need to choose to draw near to God. Because he's there. He wants to. But it's up to us. It's our decision. When you're that desperate, you don't just get fed up. You start owning up to the things you've done. To the places you've been. To the people you've seen. To the people you've been with. You start owning up to your sin. And that's when you say, God, I've blown it. I've been doing things my way. I've been going into the places that you have strictly told me not to go. And what is God's response? What does he do when we're finally so fed up and we finally start owning up to our sins? What does he do? I like this. David prayed one time, Psalms 51. It says he prayed this prayer because he had committed adultery and then killed the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. And that was a pretty big sin. <laughs> that was serious. But it says, Psalm 51, 1 through 4, says, David said this, Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults, and I am conscious that I've sinned against you. It is important to recognize our faults. It is important to recognize that we have sinned against God. And then what is God's response? Verse 7 says this, remove my sin. He comes and he removes the sin, and I will be clean. He comes and he cleans you out. Wash me. He washes you. He makes sure there's nothing there. There's nothing left. You're brand spanking new. And he makes you whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Now he can look at you and no longer see a stain. No longer see the sin that you were in. Now he sees you with those fresh new eyes. Hallelujah. But it's up to you to accept that. To believe that God has washed you and made you new. Made you whiter than snow. Not allow the enemy to lie to you. To whisper into your ear and say that you're still in the same place. When God has told you he has lifted you up and put you into better higher places. Hallelujah. He has washed lost you. He has made you new. He looks at you and all he sees is a white, cleaned, perfect person. Are we perfect? Are we perfect? No. But God's grace, his righteousness, hallelujah, over our lives, that's what he sees. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. That sin that you say was too ugly, that sin that you say you can never forget because it was so bad, that sin he comes and he washes away. Jesus, thank you, Lord. He doesn't account. He doesn't take account for the things we've done or the places we've been. He just removes it the minute we're fed up and we own up to our sins and we ask him to forgive us for our sins. Hallelujah. He is willing to just remove them in an instant. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the son received the same from his father that day. Hallelujah. Now, here's the third thing. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Offer up yourself. Offer up yourself. So we've gotten fed up. We've owned up. Now we have to offer up. Hallelujah. Notice in Luke 15, 12, the son drifted away saying, give me my share. Then Luke 15, 19, he comes back. He 
he returned to the father saying, make me a servant. Everyone repeat, make me a servant. Hallelujah. Do you notice the change in the attitude? Do you notice the change in the posture of the son from when he left to now when he's coming back? Hallelujah. He comes back saying, make me. Instead of saying, I, give me, 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 I, he says, make me. Make me one of your servants. That's transformation. That's transformation. When your heart moves from a self-centeredness to God-centeredness. So when you want more of God versus you want more of yourself or more for yourself, that's transformation. Hallelujah. Are you there yet? Are you God-centered? Or do you find yourself sometimes still being in that, give me, give me, I want, instead of what God wants? Hallelujah. To make you a servant, you want God to make you a servant. To begin that transformation in your life takes you saying, make me God. Are you saying, God, make me a servant for that Transformation doesn't happen overnight. We know that, right? It took the son a few, doesn't tell us exactly how long, but it was a process for him before he had to figure out, man, I had it better than this. So it is a process. Transformation doesn't happen overnight. God is still working even in me. Hallelujah. The Bible says he's faithful to complete the work he has begun in us. So it doesn't say that he had completed it or he has completed it. It says he's faithful to continue to complete it. Amen? But there is a decision that starts the process. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we, we reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed. That means a continual process. We are being transformed. It's ongoing. It's a process that takes time. That word transformed, do you know that word comes from a Greek word? And that Greek word is metamorpho. Does it sound familiar? What does it sound like? Metamorphosis. Yes. The Hulk. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't come, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't compare it to the Hulk. Because the Hulk doesn't turn to something pretty. <laughs> he turns into something powerful but not pretty. Hallelujah. But the Lord, you see, that's how God great is. I mean, how God, how great God is. He turns us into both, powerful and beautiful. Amen? But that word metamorphosis, right, it makes you think of that butterfly. But if we think a little bit further, it first makes you think of that caterpillar that's crawling on the ground, right? makes you think of the caterpillar into a pupa and then a chrysalis, and then, you know, it takes this long time to be transformed into a what? A beautiful butterfly. Hallelujah. That what, that's what transformation is about. That's what transformation is about. You start off maybe as an ugly, crawling caterpillar, but then God comes and wraps you in his love and his grace and his mercy and everything that's beautiful about him. And he lets you sit there for a little while in that process, amen? But then at the end of that process, 
you become a beautiful butterfly. And sometimes God has to take you through other different processes, amen, so that you can continue to grow and become even more beautiful. But butterflies are so beautiful that even the Bronx Zoo has set its own habitat for butterflies because people come to admire it, to see them, how beautiful they are, the different kinds of butterflies, because then that's how creative God is. He He didn't make us all the same. We're all unique in our own way, but we're all beautiful. Once he's done with us, once we've we've given all to him we've given our lives our mind our body everything that we are he makes us into this beautiful butterfly that can soar above all circumstance that can soar above all situations that can soar above all trials why because of god's grace and mercy hallelujah hallelujah jesus so remember a caterpillar what can he do he can only crawl He can only eat the leaves that he can reach, but the butterfly, the butterfly soars. Hallelujah. So if you've been eating what's left from from the ground, if you've been eating the leftovers that others are giving you, it's time to make a change. It's time to decide that you have been fed up, that you're going to own up to the wrongs that you've been doing, and that you're going to to choose to search and seek and run after God. And guess what? God is not going to let you go too far because he's going to come running right to you and where you are. Hallelujah. All he needs to hear is the words, I want my change. I want to transform. I'm desperate enough that I need you to come into my life and change things around. Turn it around for me, God. Hallelujah. I'm willing. Here I am. When he hears those words, he comes in like a roaring lion, man, and he just starts changing things he starts knocking things out that don't need to be there he starts knocking down walls that existed only because of others um hurts and pains that have been placed into you or on you hallelujah he comes and he transforms you into a new person and if you haven't gone through that transformation talk to god ask god god i accepted you i thought i confessed my sins i thought i've been owning up to them What else is in me that I need to let go of in order for you to come in like a mighty wind and do the change, do the transformation that you are wanting to do in my life? Romans 12, 1 says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. No transformation can occur until you offer yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. Hallelujah. So it's first you get fed up, then you own up, and now you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. Hallelujah. And now what is the Father's response? It's important, it's important to notice the Father's response. Luke 15, 20. 22 filled with love and compassion he ran out to his son threw his arms around him kissed him bring the best he said bring the best robe the best ring the best shoes the bet the the fatted calf hallelujah all these things the father's response notice he didn't wait like i just finished saying he didn't wait for the son to come to him he ran out to the son he saw him from a distance and he went running into him and the son thought he was going to expect a rebuke. And what, he, and what he received was loving arms, was a welcoming heart, 
was, was a, a heart that had been waiting for his son to come back just so he can tell him, my son had been dead. My son had been away, but now he's alive. Now he's safely back in my arms where I can do what I've been longing to do for so long. Hallelujah. How long is it going to take you to come running into your father's arms and allow him to do what he's been wanting to do? Don't be afraid. God is, there's nothing to be afraid about God. Hallelujah. All he has is good, good things for us. Jesus. Hallelujah. But that's because God doesn't hold on to a grudge. Against all the dumb stuff we can do. (laughs) Against all the dumb stuff we can say. He doesn't hold on to a grudge. Sometimes we can curse him out. Yes, thank God. And yet he's there. He's willing to just receive us again. And I know this. One of my uncles passed away that I loved very dearly. And to this day, it's still, you know, I still feel the, 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 the missing of the person, right? But I know he's with God, so that gives me joy. But he was one that knew God, was always cursing God, always going back to, oh, you know, this happens because of this, and this happens because of that. That was his way of being. And so one day, you know, I mean, God allowed that storm to come into his life. And his life was coming to an end. At some point or another, it was going to come to an end. And he spoke to his sister one night, and he told her, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting against God. I'm tired of fighting with God. I'm tired. I just give my life to Christ. And if he takes me right now, I'm willing to go. I'm ready. I just want to be in his arms. I just want him to know that, you know, that, that I, I need him to forgive me. And I'm done. I'm not fighting anymore. And do you know that that same week, my uncle had a heart attack and he passed away. So when we heard my aunt tell us this, it brought us joy because we weren't sure. Because we knew the man he was. We knew the constant battle he had with God. But him telling her that and confessing that out loud secured us that he was in God's arms and I said Lord that doesn't satisfy me I still need to know I need to know I need to know you got to show me you got to show me remember this was a man that I loved like my father I needed to know that he was in his father's arms and God he's so good yeah I, I remember having a dream where he was in that um in that dream and I don't remember the details but I know I woke up from that dream knowing without a shadow of a doubt that he was in his Savior's arms and that I was going to see that man again. So that is my, uh, my hope, amen? And that's what brings me joy. But that's God. He doesn't hold any grudges. From Right now, you can say you hate him, and next second you say, Lord, forgive me because I didn't mean it, and he sees the sincerity of your heart. That's it. It's done. He doesn't remember what you said a second ago. Thank God. Thank God that he's like that. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. One day I had to make that decision. I was 10 years old and I said, Lord, I want you to be the savior of my life. I want you to begin that transformation that I hear so many adults talking about. I want to know you the way they know you. I used to see them praising God and receiving the Holy Spirit. And I thought, man, I want that. That looks different. That looks fun. Hallelujah. And although I gave my life to Christ at 10 and I didn't receive the Holy Spirit or the gift of tongues until I was 16. 
but I served him with all my heart since I was 10 years old. And I have not regretted that decision with my flaws, with my having to come back and say, God, forgive my faults because I recognize them. But I haven't let go. I haven't let go because he's just too good to let go. Hallelujah. And maybe some, maybe, maybe some of you can say, I'm living the good life. It's all good. You know, I feel good. I live good. I wear good stuff. I got a good car. I'm good. Nothing wrong with me. (laughs) But there's only one problem with that mentality and with those words. It's not enough. I guarantee you it is not enough because God has so much more, so much more. It's so much, like I said before, it flows in abundance. Hallelujah. And if you could have more, wouldn't you want more? Yeah, I would. Man, there's a lot more things I would like. (laughs) But God more. God always more. If you could have better, if if you could soar like a butterfly, I'm pretty sure that's what you would want. Amen. So how do you do this? How do you get back to God? Again, remember the, so far we've spoken about three, and I'm going to conclude with the fourth. Get fed up, own up, offer up, and the last one is you lift up your praise. Lift up your praise. Hallelujah. Lift up your praise. God is worthy to be praised. Man, he's done so much. And even if he hadn't done so much, just because he is God almighty, savior of our lives, he deserves our praise. Hallelujah. And it's simple. All you got to say is thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the, what you've done in my family's life. Thank you for all that I see that you've done for me and given me. Hallelujah. That's all that we have to do is say. And it's just praise God. It's being grateful for who he is and what he's done in our lives. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's just offering up a praise, offering up a worship because he's worthy he is worthy to be praised is he not worthy my people is he not worthy people of God hallelujah he deserves our worship take a minute praise the God who saved you praise the God who's forgiven your sins praise the God who's rescued you from the nothing hallelujah from the dirt hallelujah and has risen you up into places of riches hallelujah of more than enough Oh, Lord, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your praise in our lives, for your greatness in our lives, oh God. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Psalm 68, 4, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, for your own transformation, Start, sing, start singing. You know how we were singing here together in a fellowship? In fellowship, begin to sing God's praises. What you may not know is that a lot of these songs are enwrapped in God's word. A lot of the lyrics are straight out of God's word. And this is why sometimes when you sing a song, you feel like, man, that just lifted my spirit. 
Man, like my mind, my thinking has just changed since singing that song because it's God's word breathing life into you. It's God's word reminding you to start thinking differently because you are a child of God. You have not been abandoned. You are not lost. You have been saved and rescued. Hallelujah. You have a purpose and he has a plan for your life. Jesus. You need to start singing at home, singing in your car, sing with people. Though even if they think you're crazy because you're singing in your car and you're doing all of this and people are looking at you like you're funny. Who cares? When you were in the clubs, didn't you look funny? I thought you looked funny, but you did it anyway. Hallelujah. Why not more for our God, Jesus, who he sacrificed his life, died for us, resurrected on the third day so that we, we could know we have a victory. We have a hope. Hallelujah. We will rise up with him again and live in his kingdom. Jesus, I look forward to that. That keeps me going. That keeps me moving. If everything else wasn't enough. Hallelujah. I praise you, my God. Lift up your praises to the God on high. Hallelujah. Jesus, we praise you, my God. And I know my time is finishing. Or it's finished, but I'm going to end with what God gave me. I'm sorry. So I hope you bear with me just a few more minutes. Know this. There has been studies done that singing is actually therapeutic. Amen? It's good for your mental health. It's good for your emotional health. It's good for your social health. Okay. I tell you, God is awesome. He doesn't like do something and then place limits on it. No, man. He does something and it covers all areas of your life. Woo! Thank you, Lord. It's good for your physical and all different areas. Jesus. Man, it says that singing with other people lowers your blood pressure. Check that out. Releases endorphins, and which makes you feel good. The endorphins make you feel good. Ooh, who doesn't want to feel good? Improves your moods, builds your confidence. Hallelujah. Relieves the loneliness. Why? Because you're reminding yourself, I am not alone because I got a father who loves me. I'm not alone. And I'll break out the song. Ah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Releases negative emotions and stress and creates positive emotions. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. Jesus. The other day when one of my coworkers says, oh, I saw you in the car and you were laying back. You, were must, you must have been resting. And in my head, if she would have known, I lay back because... It's in front of um, projects, so there's a lot of um, movement going on. I lay back just so that people aren't, like, staring at me. But I was praising my God. I was, you know, talking to my God. I was talking to him in my mind, preparing myself to enter into that place that right now brings me so much struggle. Jesus. Hallelujah. So lastly, what are we going to do? Are you going to lift up your praise, church? Are you going to lift up that praise? I was telling one of the ministers on Friday, when we get together, we need to push through. It's not enough to give um, surface praise, man. You're not going to get anything out of a surface praise, out of a surface worship. If you just come here and you say, I'm here because out of commitment, uh, because, you know, I don't, I, I don't want them to say I don't go when they call out a service, but I'm so tired, I'm just going to sit here. Oh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I, yes, Lord, I praise you. God is good. God is. You're not going to get it. You're not going to receive it, man. Don't you know that there's an enemy who that comes against you every day who wants to keep your blessings away? He fights in that air just for that very reason, to keep the blessings of God from you, to keep your salvation from you, to keep your hope, the peace that you need at any given moment, at any given service. Hallelujah. We have to press through, people. 
We have to learn to press through in our praise. God, the Bible says he abides in the praises of his people. And when God, where God abides, a lot flows out. Hallelujah. That woman of, um, with the fluid of blood, we, um, Carmen preached on that on, on Friday. When she touched the hem of his garment, man, what came out? Healing power came out. When God is in the midst, healing power comes out. When God is in the midst, joy is resurrected back into our lives. There has to be a transformation. So recognize, recognize your faults. Recognize where you might be weak in your uh, walk with Christ right now. And make a decision today 